So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, as you're turning there, you might remember the last time we talked about David, and you might be thinking, 2 Samuel? We skipped a lot of David's life, and, and we did. We're skipping way ahead in this story. And just, just to go over the parts that we skipped over that you can read about in your free time, Saul kept trying to kill David. David gave him mercy again. And now, and, and David had some other battles that he had fought. And now where we are getting to is Saul, Saul's men, they were in their own war against the Philistines. And all of Saul's sons, including Jonathan, were killed in this war. Saul himself, in devastation, killed himself by falling on his sword. David then becomes the king of Judah. Eventually he becomes the entire king of all of Israel. And after David goes and defeats the Philistines in, in I don't want to say retribution, but going back after the Philistines, after they have annihilated a lot of Israel's army, David decides that he wants to honor the Lord. So he, he goes out and he is going to move the Ark of the Covenant. You guys know what the Ark of the Covenant is? Okay, for, for those who don't know, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, it resembled the very presence of God. And there on this Ark is God told them how to make this intricate chest that contained manna. It contained the Ten Commandments, the, the, the two tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it. It also contained Aaron's rod in there. And so this, this symbolized it was the, the very presence of God. And as David decides to uh, honor the Lord by bringing the covenant back to Jerusalem, you might remember back in July, we discussed the second half of this story about David's worship. Because when David actually got the, got the ark and took it back into Jerusalem, they stopped just after six steps, and he, he sacrificed to the Lord, and he started worshiping and praising God. There was great jubilation, great joy to be returning this back to Jerusalem, because again, I want to state, it represented the very presence of God. And David wanted to see that blessing in Jerusalem. Now the story that I'm going to read today, it's, it's shocking, and there's a reason that I choose to read it is because there's a lesson we can learn. So I want to provide some background on why the Ark of the Covenant was not there in Jerusalem. Now the Philistines took it in war. And the Philistines, as a result of taking it, they, uh, they, they were receiving a curse from God, and they could feel it, and they were, they were blaming the ark, and some people might wonder, well, how on earth did the Philistines get it? I'll explain this. There was this man named Eli. Everyone say Eli. And so Eli, he was a part of the Levitical priesthood, and he was in charge of the temple at Shiloh, and he had these sons, and one son named Phineas got smart, so he thought, when they were in the middle of battle, and he's like, I'm going to take the ark of the covenant out into this battle, and we are going to be victorious because of that. Well, they did not have God's favor. They were defeated. And eventually, because of this, this curse the Philistines felt they had placed upon them, they returned it back to Israel. And so now, it finds itself in the house of a man named Abinadab. 
And it was there for 20 years. So that's where we pick up in our story. Let's read 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 11. We've covered all those bases. Let's go. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bela of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill, Uzzah and Ohio. Abinadab's sons were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. Can you imagine the scene that is going on here? Can you imagine the jubilation and the joy in their heart? Here they are bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. And David, in his mind, he's like, the blessing of the Lord is going to fall on Jerusalem because his very presence is with this and the goodness that it's it's going to do for Israel. Can you guys feel that? Can you sense this? Let's read the next sentence. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. Anyone puzzled yet? So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because, of the, because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah. As it is still called today, David was now afraid of the Lord and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes your word can be puzzling. Lord, sometimes it can't make sense. And I pray that today, God, as we approach your word and we seek understanding in why you would do something like this, God, I pray that we will embrace you for who you are, not try and put you in a box and define you and believe there are things you do and things you don't do, but truly know you, God. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So as I read this, and, and you, you're, you're probably shocked, because here what we read is this young man was trying to do something good by making sure that the Ark of the Covenant did not hit the ground, so he reached out to steady it, and he died as a result. And you're sitting there going, his intentions were so good, I don't understand why God would do this. And I want you to know, good intentions don't honor God. You hear me? Good intentions don't honor God. David, D David, his intended purpose in everything that he did leading up to this point was to honor God. And 
So David, sitting there after all this, and he's sitting there wondering how on earth he can bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. He knows that this young man Uzzah died, and now it's in this house of Obed-Edom. And get this, he all of a sudden hears, hold on, wait a second. This Ark has been in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and they're just receiving blessing after blessing after blessing. And he's sitting there going, what? What are you doing, God? What are you saying? And so David decided that he was going to make preparations. He gathered 30,000 men. They set the ark on a cart. Excuse me, this is before with Abinadab. But two men, both the sons of Abinadab, they were driving the cart. And so we, we, we pictured this. We pictured David and all, the, all, all his men. They're worshiping, praising God, all excited. And then this disaster strikes. Imagine how that atmosphere changes in an instant. Right? Now Uzzah is dead. And these men, they're, they're filled with terror. And David, as a result of all this taking place, David is now angry and he is questioning the justice of God. And instead of being mad, check this out, and we're going to learn why. Instead of being mad that Uzzah touched the ark. So the trouble for us is as we read this, that we read this as Uzzah was doing something good. And I would say that he was full of good intent when he reached out to do it. The problem was in what they thought they knew versus what they didn't know at the time. Okay? And we're going to get to that. Because what this reads is something that is all of a sudden God is unpredictable and he's got this, this just will to punish people. And that's, that's what we read and it's hard to understand. But I want us to note this was the most important thing they missed. They failed to follow God's instruction. They failed to follow God's instruction. If you know anything about God, God had a pattern in which the ark was supposed to be handled. For instance, I, I, I stated that he struck the Philistines for not handling it correctly, and now it's back in the hands of Israel. And God was explicit in the instructions of the sons of Koath, the sons of Aaron, that the ark should be transported by carrying it on poles with guys carrying it on their shoulder. They were not to carry it on, an, on a cart. They were not to carry it by any other means than by on foot carrying it on these poles. And Uzzah also was not supposed to touch the ark. I want to read for you Numbers 4.15. It says, The camp will be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles. The Kohathites will come and carry these things to the next destination, but they must not touch the sacred objects or they will die. So these are the things from the tabernacle that the Kohathites must carry. And they went on that the ark was one of those things and the ark was supposed to be transported on foot. And God's reasoning was because if it was ever on something like an ox-drawn cart and the oxen stumbled, then all of a sudden the, 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 the ark would fall. It needed to be carried by men on foot. 
It was never supposed to touch the ground. Now you're sitting there going, Pastor, what does all this have to do with me? Because like we don't, we don't have the, we don't even know where the Ark of the Covenant is. Some have their theories. We have got some ideas on where the Ark of the Covenant is. But, but for us Gentiles, sometimes it can seem inconsequential. But what I want you to know, that sins committed with good intentions are still punished by God. And like it or not, Him just reaching out and touching it was a sin. Because if you want to truly break down what sin is, sin is disobedience to God. We all agree on that. Okay, so if we all agree that sin is disobedience to God and every single one of us have been disobedient, but I want us to accept wrong actions cannot be justified by good intent. Are you hearing me? We can have some of the best intentions in the world and we can go out and do it. But if it's still sinful, it can't honor God. It's disobedience to Him. How can God ever honor something like that? Now, something similar also happened uh, as far as sins being committed with good intentions. Uh, happened to the Romans after, they, uh, after Christ came. In Romans, they, they really had a zeal for the Lord. But Paul noted that their zeal was not according to the knowledge of God. Listen to Romans 10, 1 through 3. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. Everyone say misdirected. It is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. We're guilty of that. We're guilty of that. Because what happens is we can get so enthusiastic for God and start clinging to parts of what we know about God and then that is all we care about. And instead of, and instead of taking the word of God and truly getting to know who he is and what it all encompasses, that who God is, we neglect it. We put it on a dusty shelf. We ignore it and we follow our own zeals and passions and we say, God, look what you're doing. God, this is you. And so we get this zeal for him because we're excited about what Christ has done for us, but so often we're not properly following his statutes. Amen? Because that's really what happens. And now going back to our main story, because I, I got more of that coming, but perhaps... At that time, in, in the time of David, people had fallen so far away from God that this was no longer being taught how to properly handle the ark. They're just assuming this is what we do. So they place it on the cart because that's what the Philistines had done when the Philistines brought it back, and it worked for them just fine. Instead of them choosing to follow the word and instruction of God, they were affected by the worldly Philistines. You guys hearing me? And so often, we have this zeal, but 
instead of committing to God's will and way, we follow our own mind and our own self-righteousness. Listen to Matthew 7, 22 through 23. Jesus says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now hold on a second. These people that Jesus is talking about, if they prophesied in his name, that means they have to have believed in his name. And if they prophesied, they, they had the Holy Spirit working with them. And yet these are the very people that Jesus is saying, that they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, I don't even know them. And so for you and I, we're, we're sitting here hearing this, and, it, and we're trying to digest what this really means, because these are people who believe in God, who have clearly done the works through their ministry, and yet we clearly see a rejection by God. And many of you are asking why, as I so often ask why. But listen to Matthew seven twenty one. the verse before this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Only those who do the will of my Father. Not the will of myself. Not what I want. Not not this own self-created zeal for the Lord because He is so good and I just want to do my own thing and watch Him bless the work of my hands. That's not it at all. It's, It's so that we can do the will of God because the will of God trumps everything because God is all knowing. He is all powerful. He sees everything at all times. And as a result, God knows what is best for our life. God knows what is best for the kingdom. And so you can try and do it your own way. But here's what's going to happen. You could find yourself being one of those, but God, I did this for you. I did that for you. And Lord, you're telling me you don't know me? Think about the heaviness and the weight of this, guys. Because so often in our, in our own self-desires and in our own flesh, we can get so captivated by, by what we're doing and what God would have us to do. And we're so quick to just step out and do something for God. So seldom do we sit back and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because obedience to God is the key to bringing him honor. I'm going to say that again. I want you to hear me. Obedience to God is the key to bringing him honor. And God cannot bless what is not in accordance with his will. So what you and I need to do, this is what we need to do. We need to learn from mistakes. That's what, that's what David did. David had to learn from mistakes. He had this period where he had to, he had to reevaluate. And so let, let me tell you one of his first mistakes that he made, uh, he made. He sought godly counsel. He sought counsel from his 30,000 elite troops on what to do. This wasn't godly counsel. This was worldly wisdom. Okay? And David, we, we've discussed already in this series, he's been guilty of this before. 
And so David consulted with many to figure out what to do. Listen to, it, it kind of runs parallel with this story. First Chronicles 13.1. It says, David consulted with all his officials, including the generals and captains of his army. And that was an estimated 30,000 men. All this wisdom seeking, and not once did David seek God's counsel or search his word. He just did it. Likewise, we can call on the right people. We can go and search out every possible resource from the greatest wisdom in the world. But when we don't take God's counsel in everything we do or we don't give him the opportunity to provide a miracle, we can sometimes think with our heart we're trying our best to do the will of the the Lord, but God can only be honored by doing what pleases him. I said that already once in this message. I'm going to say it again. God can only be honored by doing what pleases Him. And at the very top of that list is obedience. Obedience. You guys hearing me? I'm saying that several times today because I know this sermon is weighty. So going back, when God struck Uzzah dead, David became angry. It's explicit in that. And so his quick human reaction was, I am going to have a resentment toward God because he viewed, David viewed Uzzah's punishment as unfair and it changed the entire atmosphere of what David was trying to do. So David, here he is, he's worshiping, he's praising God, he's saying, God, I'm going to usher you in. And all of a sudden, he's saying that God doesn't approve exactly the way they're doing it. And so David just drops it off at someone's house. And our reality is very similar to David that that, uh, when we face troubles, we're so quick to blame God. This is God's fault. This is God's reason it happened. Or we think that maybe it's God. He's He's being unfaithful to me because he's choosing to do this. Not realizing it's, we did it out of our own self interest our own selfishness and independence and a misunderstanding of who God is and how he wants to work in our lives. But it is moments like this where we can learn from Uzzah and from our own lives that God is the one that is powerful, God is the one that is in control, and God is the one that has the final say. And so David, in this three-month period, he started to develop a godly fear. A true fear of who God was. And David eventually came to realize his mistake. Listen to 2 Samuel 6, 9. It says, David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark back into my care? How can I do this? A man that was once so eager to get the presence of God back in Jerusalem is now questioning whether or not he even wants it. I don't know if I can handle this. And our anger like David's can lead us to make many wrong decisions. Maybe it starts with us, maybe our anger toward God starts with us giving up the Bible. Just stop reading. Stop praying. Stop attending church. Stop attending Sunday school or or all these various things that we can bring up. And in that confusion, 
what happens is we start placing the blame incorrectly on God when it was our fault all along. Are you hearing me, church? Are you hearing me? See, I believe, I believe the only reason David was able to come to this conclusion is because we know that David had a heart out after God. So David stepped away from the situation. He looked back and he said, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe Uzzah's death was not God's responsibility or Uzzah's responsibility. Maybe it was David's responsibility. And David now is all of a sudden carrying this weight. And he could have gone a different direction. But he went back for the ark. He went back for the ark. And I believe it's because David's heart was out after God. It wasn't hardened. It was sensitive. And he wanted to know, he wanted the Holy Spirit to reveal in him what he ought to do. Listen to 1 Chronicles 15, 13. It says, because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. He realized it was his own failure. And from that point on, David did everything in an orderly manner according to the word of God. Listen to 1 Chronicles 15, 2. Then he commanded no one except the Levites may carry the ark of God. The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and serve him forever. Then he made sure the priests were sanctified. 1 Chronicles 15, 12, he said to them, you are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Then they chose to carry it on their shoulders as noted in 1 Chronicles 15, 15. They had to relearn what God expected and asked of them. Church, that's significant for us. We can get so used to doing it our own way that we risk when, we doesn't, when it doesn't go our own way, completely reacting out of our own flesh. And so we have already set the, set the stage in this message that to do things according to our own wishes, our, our reaction, we risk becoming prideful when we do things the way we want to do it. But when we have a heart that's sensitive to God and always open to say, God, please reveal to me what is wrong within me, that God has an opportunity to work to correct some of the patterns of our thinking, to correct maybe that misrepresented zeal and those other things that take place in our life that we might return back to his word. See, that's the key in all this. Because we can talk about the goodness of God. We can see things happen prophetically in the church. We can see healings occur. We can see miracles. Because God is not going to be robbed of that glory. But when we're not doing things in obedience and accordance with the will of God, we still rest, risk that which lays ahead for us in eternity. 
we can't afford to be disobedient. What is disobedience again? Sin, right? So if, if all sin is disobedience, we really, I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing to you, church, we got to return back to God's word so that we can define, as our culture does not want to define it, we can define what is sin and what is not. And just because the Bible says it's sin and the world says it's okay doesn't mean that it's okay in the eyes of God. See, everything is judged according to God's standard, not according to man's. And so we have to truly search within the word of God to seek what is sin and what is not. And I'm going to tell you what is pervasive and disgusting, not just in our world, but in the church, and it's sexual sin. We need to return back to the heart of God of what it means to be pure. The church, the church has opened the door to this. And I don't want to risk God's judgment in it. So let's return back to the word of God and what the word of God says. I'm telling you guys, if you're not married and you're in a, re you're in a sexual relationship, you need to stop it. You hearing me? You need to stop it. Save it for marriage. Save it for marriage. If you're questioning your identity and who you are, please seek out after God. And he will reveal he created you to be exactly what he meant you to be. Let's return back to God's word, amen? It is that which is life-giving. It is that which sets us forth toward eternity. And that God can, once again, just like he did with David, offer mercy to him and, and uh, allow him to repent and go back and say, I am taking that ark and I am taking it into Jerusalem because it's the right thing to do. Now I'm going to do it according to what God has told me to do. Not just a well-laid-out plan by men. So we're going to close this with uh, talking about the results of repentance and following God's instruction. Because what we can learn from David is that repentance and obedience, it brings joy. And it's going to bring joy each and every time. As soon as David did things according to God's instruction, it ushered in joy, we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 25. And they did it again. Notice, that they did it the first time. We read about that earlier. They did it again. They had the strings. They had the harps. They had all these instruments. They're worshiping God and praising God and they're doing things the right way. And David is so overwhelmed because of what is taking place and it's done the right way and he's walking in repentance that they couldn't even get six steps and he stopped everything immediately and he said we have to sacrifice and worship the Lord right here. Praise God. He was so overcome by the goodness and presence of God he stopped everything. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 6 verses 13 through 15 says, after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and fattened calf, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of the ram's horn. 
Now this represents an appropriate fear of the Lord. Understanding who God is. Understanding what He asks. Following God's instruction. And seeing God bless as He does. And church, there's something we can learn from this. Amen? For all, church, hear me out now. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have needed an awakening from God. All of us have needed to repent of our sin in order to be purified and made righteous in Jesus Christ. And the goal is that we can follow out God's instruction. Once we learn it, once we understand it and know it, we can follow that instruction out till the day we die. Amen? That's the goal here, and that's what I want to see men and women in the church, us linking up and doing together as we understand what it means to be obedient to the Father. What's amazing I can learn in this story, by their obedience, by them relearning the proper instruction, God didn't just sit back but he helped them. Now something interesting, we don't know how God helped them, but listen to what is written in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 26. And because God was clearly helping the Levites as they carried the ark of the Lord's covenant, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. The Ark of the Covenant, it then comes back to the city of David and they were blessed when they followed and chose to follow the Lord's instruction. And then this has been the case for the children of God since the very beginning of time. That if we just follow God's instruction, we are going to live blessed lives. See, because in our obedience, the Lord blesses us. When we go our own way, we are turned over to sin. It's just naturally what occurs. And so we have to remain diligent. We have to, Sunday school, we have to hold fast. We have to hold fast onto what God has instructed us and not let go because there are times in our lives where we are so weak. And we have to remember, hold fast to what he has called us to. Don't let go. Remain strengthened in his word and who he is. See, because I want blessing I want the blessing of God upon my life, upon my family, upon my church. Who can say amen to that? And if you want the blessing of God upon your life, upon your family, upon your church, then you are going to seek God's will for your life. Do you hear me, church? You're going to seek God's will because once you start doing things God's way, God is going to be able to adequately build his kingdom the way he seeks to. But we must be obedient first. See, because here's our reality and where we struggle today. We want God to bless what we have by merely believing in Him. Without seeking Him and knowing what it takes to receive His blessing. God's not going to forgive willful ignorance. You hearing me? So if we have Bibles remaining dusty, if we say, God, I never read that in your word, what would you do if you said, because you never tried? You never opened it up. We are so blessed in our country, amen? 
We are blessed with opportunity after opportunity to learn and know who God is. And church, we should be taking advantage of it. Complete advantage. Because the reality is, how many times have you bargained with the Lord? Lord, I will do this, this, and this for you. If you will just do this for me, that blessing sounds nice. But really, this is what we do. Hear me out. We bargain that in prayer. We bargain that in church. We bargain that in giving. And giving is the one thing God says in Malachi chapter 3, test me in this. Okay? But we want to test him in everything else. God, I want to see your blessing pour out on me. So I'll do this if you then in turn bless me and my family. Meanwhile, these are things that God has commanded us to do. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, when you pray, assuming you do, when you fast, when you give. See, these are all things that God has commanded. So not doing it is, no, disobedience. But a life that is willing to learn, hear me out, we're going we're gonna to end this right now. A life that is willing to learn, to go back, to start from the beginning, and choose to understand the ways of God. Then you will see that once you seek His will in your life, and you're doing things in accordance with the will of God, He is going to bless your family immensely. He's going to bless your life immensely. But it's not doing what you want to do. It's doing what he wants you to do. I want every head to bow, every eye to close. As you're reflecting and contemplating where you stand with God, how many times David, a man after God's own heart, had to repent of things he did you're going to learn we're numerous. Me, a kid raised in church, I found myself not truly believing and accepting who God was until about the age of 17. And so you might find yourself that maybe you've been in this circular pattern with sin or, or maybe... Maybe you have been trying to go at it your own way for so long that maybe you're not in a circular pattern at all. Maybe you are just in this, uh, this slow, steady decline. You might think it's an incline because you know who God is, but it's not. Because the only way that we can excel in the Lord, get to know Him and understand His Word is by obedience and repentance. And at the age of 17, I realized that I had a lot to learn about who God was. Raised in church, but really knew nothing. Had a lot of head smarts, just didn't follow it. And I want you to know, now is the opportunity, like David, to say, I'm going to choose to relearn what you want for me, Lord. What your will is for my life. I want to repent of my past and I want to move forward. And if you are here today and you say, Pastor Aaron, that's me. 
That's me. I need to repent. I need to recommit myself to God's will, not my own. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I just know who I'm praying for? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. First and foremost, if you're raising your hand, and there's, there's a few of you, I want you to know God was working on David the whole time. And there were a couple of tragic examples that happened. But David was the greatest, greatest king that ever was man that lived. And you and I, I believe if you are raising your hand, you have a heart out after God. And God wants to do a work in you where you are solely committed to his will and exactly what he wants. And it starts by our repentance and choosing to relearn that which God has directed us to do. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for hands that were raised. God, lives that are wanting to recommit. And God, I'm sure, just like me, Lord, they, they are recommitting with the purpose God, of never walking away, but always seeking to do your will from here on out. And God, I pray that we will be from here on out dedicated to prayer, dedicated to your word, God, what you teach, and how we should follow out after you. And so, God, I pray that we will flee from sin. We will remove it completely from our life. We will be dedicated to you and what you ask of us, God, and we will seek to follow it because we know that it pleases you, God. Lord, may we be lives that seek to please you in each and everything that we do. And God, we know the only way to please you is by doing your will. So Lord, I pray that as we have, we have repented, we have recommitted this morning, that God, our ears will be opened to your voice and what you have for us, to, so that God, we will be open to hearing you and obedient in everything following God, I pray that we'll be committed to every single part of your word. Not neglect it for our lives, but be challenged by it, Father. Not in a way that makes us question our own life and who we are, but be challenged to change, God. Not to be dejected by your word, but Lord, built up because of it. That way we may become more like you. I thank you and praise you, Father. I ask that you will be with us all as we go. That, Lord, we can be a bright and shining example to a world. Lord, I thank you for your son. I thank you for that life that went on the cross for me. He died so that I might live. And God, I pray that we truly live for you. To a lost and dying world that desperately needs a connection with you. I thank you, God. Be with us now as we go. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. amen.